You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. And as we turn to the sermon, I want to begin by saying that I have decided it's time, brothers and sisters. Uh, It's time to answer the question. I don't enjoy doing things like this, uh, but I can't put it off any longer. And in moments like these, I have a unique responsibility as lead pastor to provide a clear and unifying voice for the church, to give us one direction. I've been here uh, now for six months, so it's time to weigh in on a question I've been asked time and time again. Pastor Isaac, are you an Auburn or Alabama fan? Which team will you cheer for? Roll Tide or War Eagle, what's it gonna be? Friends, after praying and fasting about this, I wanted to answer the question well outside of football season before emotions start running high. I've been told there is no middle ground, Auburn or Bama, which is it? And the answer, beloved, is yes. (laughs) I am a fan of the university of the North Carolina Tar Heels. And while I'm sad that March Madness is over and how it ended, I'm not that sad. You see, because in Chapel Hill, where UNC is, there's a restaurant called He's Not Here. He's not here. And it's called that because when Michael Jordan was a student at UNC, he'd often eat there. So people would always be calling the restaurant and asking, is Michael Jordan there? Is Michael Jordan there? And the restaurant went ahead and changed their name because the hostesses kept having to say, I'm sorry, he's not here. And brothers and sisters, friends and family, I'm not sorry because I'm here to tell you some happy news, and it is this, that when it comes to the grave and Jesus, he's not here. He's not here. Uh, This Jesus, this Savior who came and lived a perfect life and died in the place of sinners on the cross, bearing the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, friend, on the third day he was raised from the dead. The tomb is empty, the church is full, and now he, Jesus, the head of the church, offers full forgiveness of sins to anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him. Friend, do that today. After all, he is risen. Now, on one level, friends, what I've just shared is Not just an Easter announcement, it's an every Sunday announcement. As Pastor Cam said, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So if you like Easter, if you're visiting today, come back next week and the week after because we will continue to revel in the resurrection. But we begin here today, beloved, at the empty tomb, not really because it's Easter, But we start with the resurrection because our sermon text starts with the resurrection. 
we have in Christ. Uh, look with me at Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, that big number 3 is the chapter, and the little numbers are the verses. Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, a small city uh, in modern-day Turkey, and Paul writes in verse 1 saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. Friends, for Paul, Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead was central to the Christian faith. It was foundational. That's why in our church's statement of beliefs, we say we, the members of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, believe that Christ died and was buried, but after three days, he was raised from the dead. Friends, if Christ wasn't really raised, the Christian faith is a sham. If Christ has not been raised, then maybe the Colossians should listen to the false teachers. Or maybe they should follow after their man-made religions, the human precepts and teachings we looked at last week. But of course, friends, Christ has been raised. That's why the angel said at the tomb when people came to check on Jesus' body, he's not here. And yet, it is so easy to forget that fact, isn't it? To be unmindful of the resurrection to lose sight of it and what it means for our status and service as Christians. Friends, we've been walking through the book of Colossians this spring. Paul was writing to the Colossians to remind them that Jesus, our hope of glory, is supreme and sufficient. That's the message of Colossians. Jesus is supreme and sufficient. So we don't need to be looking for our hope or the power of God in any place else. We shouldn't be looking to anyone else for salvation, for deliverance, for spiritual safety, but Jesus Christ. And Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. It was a title. It means Messiah, this promised one who would save and deliver. Oh, we see this title mentioned four times in the four verses we'll be looking at this evening. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. You might circle or underline Christ, 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 Christ. Friends, this letter is all about Christ, Jesus, and what he has done. Now, Paul reminds us of what Christ has done. He's been raised as this letter really transitions to its second half. In the first half of the letter, uh, as is the case in most every one of Paul's letters, he begins with doctrinal instruction. Uh, as we said last week, Paul doesn't just write the Colossians with a to-do list. No, before he says, here's what you should do, he says, here's the truth. Uh, here's what Jesus has done for you. Even in our sermon passage today, Paul doesn't even talk so much about actions as he does mindset. He says, hey, before we even talk about what to do, here's how to think, Christian. Here's the mindset you 
Christian should have that reflects who you are, your new identity in Christ Jesus. To give you some hermeneutical language, hermeneutics is the study of interpreting scripture. Friends, in his letter, Paul gives us indicatives, statements of truth, before imperatives, commands. And this pattern reminds us that the Christian life doesn't begin with what we do, but with who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Uh, Paul's made that clear, what God has done in the first two chapters of Colossians, as he's negatively spoke against the false teachers. So Paul has said, here's the gospel, here's Christ, so don't listen to the false teachers. But Paul doesn't leave us without positive instruction. Friends, in our text today, Paul positively says, since all the things I've said are true, since you're avoiding the false teachers, this is what positively you should do. Friends, what should we do in light of the empty tomb? That's the question we'll answer today. What should we do in light of the empty tomb? Colossians 3, starting with verse 1, hear now the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, what should we do in, the light, in light of the empty tomb? And Paul answers that for us with a command and with a word of comfort. With a command and a word of comfort. And here's the command. This will be our first of two points. Friends, what should we do in light of the empty tomb? We should think like a person who's been raised with Jesus. What should we do in light of the empty tomb? Answer, we should think like a person who's been raised with Jesus. Look again at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Uh, Paul begins verse 1 with the word if, not because he's saying your resurrection may or may not be true, but because he's about to make an if-then statement. And so he says, if you've been raised with Christ, then implied, seek the things that are above. Uh, your translation might begin verse 1 with that word since or so. No need to worry about a translation difference. Uh, it means the same thing. You know, since you've been raised with Christ, then do this. But before he tells us what to do, Paul lays out the groundwork on which all Christians stand, the resurrection of Christ. He says, if you've been raised with Christ. Last week in chapter 2, verse 12, we talked about how we've been buried with Christ. But Paul does not keep us in the ground. 
Friends, in Christ, we've been raised to new life. Notice that raised is in the past tense. It's already happened, but it hasn't yet fully happened. We haven't gotten our new resurrection bodies yet, but make no mistake, our resurrection life, spiritually speaking, has already started. If you're here and you're a new Christian, you want to understand this framework of already and not yet. It is super important in the Christian understanding of how life and the afterlife work. And if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, you want to understand this framework of the already and not yet. It's super important in the Christian understanding of how life and the afterlife works. Friends, we've already been raised with Christ. And we're no longer subject to sin's power or penalty. And we're no longer dead in our sins like chapter 2, verse 13 says. No, we're alive in Christ. We've been raised with him. Jane, I love you praying about the work God has already done. It's done, beloved. Something I'm growing to appreciate uh, as a young pastor, as your pastor, is that a lot of you are going through some really hard things in your life. I'm so sorry for that. But know this, my suffering brother and sister, you might have had a hard day. You might have had a hard week. You might have had a hard year. But if you go to bed tonight believing that you have been raised with Christ, that's a win. I say this not to belittle your suffering, but to say that your suffering doesn't have the last word. Ben Crocker, one of our elders on sabbatical, put it well to encourage those of us who are suffering. He said, this text reminds us that even when we feel like we're perishing, the fact is we've been raised to new life. And Paul basically goes on to say, be what you are then. Live, think in accordance with who you are in Christ. Friends, in this passage, God is calling us to a new way of life, a way that's directed by a new command center, a new headquarters. Christian, heaven is your country. Heaven is your headquarters, not an earthly court or throne. We are to seek the things, the values, the lifestyles that accord with heaven above. Now, uh, if you're like me, You read these verses and got a little frustrated because you want to know, okay, well, what are the things we're supposed to seek? In my high school English class, my teacher said, never use the word things because it's vague. Paul would have failed my English class three times over with this passage. Friend, when we get to verse 2, we'll talk about the things and what they are, but what if the things aren't so much the main point of our text, but rather where they are, whom they accord with? 
Friends, Paul has made crystal clear that the thing to center your life and mind around is Christ. 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 The things aren't the main thing here. Christ is the main thing. Look with me again at verse one. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. You see that comma after the word is in verse one. The comma is there because Paul is putting some emphasis on where Christ is and where we, and we want where he is to influence our mindset. It's interesting, friends. The, the Colossians were trying to speak, seek out spiritual things. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18 says people were insisting on worship of angels and going on in details about visions. And Paul doesn't discourage the Colossians from seeking the things above, but he does redirect them. Paul basically says, okay, if you're looking for things above, cool, but make sure you're looking where Christ is. Don't try to get spirituality, spiritual life. Don't try to get the things of heaven apart from Christ. That's like trying to get a flame apart from a fire. It doesn't make sense. Friends, Paul is saying, Colossians, if, if you're trying to look above, that's good, but look where Jesus is. And that has been the challenge of God's people from day one, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The psalmist said, I lift my eyes into the hills. And so you know, friends, the hills were where the idols were often placed. The psalmist said, I lift my eyes into the hills. And he asked, where does my help come from? The King James asked, from whence cometh my help? Sometimes you've got to quote the King James. Friends, the psalmist knew, knows not to look to the idols. He knows he has to look elsewhere. I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, here's a simple question. When you're in a bad spot, where do you look? When you're in a good spot, where do you look? There's a reason the writer to the Hebrews said, therefore, let us look to Jesus. Who is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians chapter three, verse one goes on to say. We've talked about why Jesus is seated a couple of weeks ago on our sermon uh, on Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The old covenant priest would stand while working, but Jesus can sit because his work is finished. Uh, he sits in the place of honor, the right hand of God. Uh, this phrase, the right hand, is an allusion to Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the Bible, uh, Pastor Cam is going to preach on it this summer, Lord willing. You can look at our updated sermon schedule on our website for more information about that. But again, if you're like me, you want more information about these things. Paul wrote about these things 
that he told us to seek. What are they? Right? Well, friend, bear with me one more moment, and you'll be glad you did, because Paul makes an interesting move in our text. And this text comes in the context of a whole, of a whole pass, of a whole letter, and that's important to remember. Earlier, uh, Paul condemned the false teachers for encouraging people to look to their own efforts, their own strength, their own techniques to try to gain access to the heavenly realm. So last week, we talked about how people were looking to man-made religion and visions to be super spiritual, to work their way up to the divine. And as we said last week, that's how false teaching works. It says, look inward to climb upward. And false teachers say, hey, start down here and work your way up to God. Oh, but friends, Christianity is not a religion for those who pulled themselves up. It's a religion for those who needed God to come down to them. And that's why I love the subtle move Paul makes in verse 1. The false teachers say, start down here and work your way up for life and fulfillment. Paul says, start up there. Start with the resurrection. Start not with what you can do, but with what Christ has already done for you and work your way back. Let your status as someone who's been raised with Christ be the source of your life. Let that work itself out in your life. Friends, the message Paul preached had a completely different starting place than that of the false teachers. And what the false teacher said, beloved, is important if you want to understand the things that are on earth that Paul mentions in verse 2. In verse 2, Paul says again, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And the things on earth that Paul is talking about are the things that make up the false teaching. Remember in chapter 2, last week, Paul talked about the elemental spirits of the world. In chapter 2, verse 8, and then again in verse 20, he said, we have died to the spirits of the world. And by that, he meant we no longer live according to the domain of darkness, the domain of Satan and demonic forces. That's what Paul means by earthly things. He means evil things. This is why in James, the wisdom he condemns is not the wisdom from above, but the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's what's showing up in the false teachers. Like those false teachers Paul talked about in Philippians 3, where he says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, Christian, is in heaven. Friends, let me cut to the chase by teaching you one useful rule of reading and interpreting your Bible. And here it is. If you're confused about something you read, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Most always, the writer clears up the confusion. The three most important rules of reading the, the Bible are context, context, context. What comes before the passage, like all the stuff in chapter two we were looking at, and what comes after the passage. 
And just look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Paul says, put to death what is ah, earthly in you. What is that? Here's an abbreviated list. Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't seek those things. We shouldn't seek what we see in chapter 3, verse 8. Look with me. Anger, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. That is the stuff of the earth. By earthly things, beloved, Paul doesn't mean so much stuff down here. No, that's a fine interpretation on some level. But Paul is not really saying, don't think about your job or don't think about feeding your family. Just be heavenly minded. Friends, the most heavenly minded person, Jesus, as one writer put it, labored, sweated, healed, touched, and bled for this world of need. Friends, Jesus dignified life in this world by living in it and paying attention to it and caring about it. So Paul is not calling us to an escapist mindset. Iron City Church members, as one of your pastors, I don't want to get any calls from one of your employers saying, hey, you know, this member of your church doesn't do anything. They're just focused on heaven. They're lazy at work. Don't let us get that call. Paul is not calling us to escape the world, friends, but to be faithful in it. And he knows that's exactly what you'll be tempted not to do. That's why you have the command. You have the command because you're tempted to do the opposite of it. You're tempted to cuss. You're tempted to be sinfully angry. You're tempted to idolize money. You're tempted to be earthly or worldly, as your grandparents might have said. So Paul says, twice over, seek what's above. Beloved, what is above? Not sexual immorality, but holiness. Not evil desire, but a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Not covetousness, but compassion. Not pride, but humility. Not grumpiness, but gratitude. Not idolatry, but worship in spirit and in truth. Not wrath, but kindness, not slander, but outdoing one another and showing honor, not obscene talk from your mouth, but blessings, not the fruits of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit, not a life that looks like Satan, but a life that looks like the Savior.
Beloved, that's what is above. It's looking like the Savior, and, that, and we're going to turn to that in a moment. Uh, but friends, let me say, to seek the things that are above is to seek that which pleases God, which Paul told us in chapter 1, verse 10. But how do we practically do this? Uh, how do we practically seek out what is above? We will answer that question in our sermon next week when Paul gives us the answer. If you want a sneak peek, just keep reading and you'll see some of his directives. But it's enough to say for now uh, that that's a good question to flesh out in your community groups this week. How do you practically pursue holiness? And if you want uh, the answer now, friends, just know that no preacher can tell you everything in one sermon. That's why God has set it up that most of you will hear thousands of sermons in your life. What's more, we want to focus on the verses at hand. And before he rushes, he rushes to what to do, Paul has given us not just a command, but a word of comfort. Did you hear it? Did you hear it in verses three and four? Paul gives us a reason we should seek what's above. He says, verse three, look with me, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friend, what should we do in light of the empty tomb? Paul has said, think like a person who's been raised with Jesus, point one, the command. But here's a word of comfort. One day, you will look like a person who's been raised with Jesus. Point number two, the word of comfort. One day soon, you will look like a person who's been raised with Jesus. In verse three, Paul essentially restates what he said in verse one. There he said, you've been raised, so seek the things that accord with that identity. In verse three, Paul says again, you've died to the things of the world. And we won't spend much time on this death to the world as we talked about it last week. But again, we have died to the things in the domain of darkness in this world. A Christian, the old you, does not exist anymore. That woman, that man is gone. No, you're a new creation in Christ. Oh, I've said the message of Colossians is that Jesus is supreme and sufficient, but we could also sum up the message of this book in two short words, in Christ. Beloved, let those two words ring like church bells in your soul. In Christ, with Christ, 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 Christ. Paul goes on in verse three to this beautiful phrase. Look with me. He says, your life, Colossians, your life, Iron City Church, is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? Well, this phrase, beloved, is like a diamond. There are many facets to it, and we're going to turn it around for a bit. 
One facet of our life being hidden with Christ means that we are covered in his righteousness. Jesus' perfection literally covers over our imperfection, swallows it up. When God looks at you, Christian, he sees you and sees not your disobedience, not your record of sins. No, he sees his son, Jesus, his record of righteousness, his holiness. He sees your sins, which have been covered by Christ's blood. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you may not have words to explain it, but maybe you feel like you can't really stand before God. And you know what? You're right. But Christ will stand before God for you. He will be your covering. Come to him today. And for those of you who have, brother, sister, rest knowing that you are hidden in Christ who covers your sin. That's one facet of this diamond. But there's also a note of safety to this phrase, hidden with Christ. Psalm 27 verses 4 and 5 may be some of my most cherished verses in the Bible. They map on well to our passage in Colossians and In Psalm 27, the psalmist says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that will I seek, that will I seek. Sounds a lot like Colossians, doesn't it? Seek what's above. Friends, in Psalm 27, the psalmist prays, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. All the psalmist wants, friends, is to know God better. He's not worried about trouble in his life. Why? Just keep reading. Psalm 27, 5, 4. For the psalmist writes. So a quick hermeneutics lesson. That word for means because. So in Colossians 3, Paul says, seek what's above, for you have died. The psalmist says, I want you, God. I'm not worried about any trouble. Why? Psalm 27, 5, for you will hide me in your shelter in the day of trouble. You will conceal me, hide me under the cover of your tent. Brother, sister, you're hidden in Christ who covers you to protect you from the troubles of this world. It doesn't mean you won't have any troubles, but that your troubles will not separate you from God's love or good purposes for you. You're hidden in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we could meditate on our union with Christ all day. If you're looking to get more out of your Bible reading, just take the words of Scripture and do what we're doing now. Meditate. Turn that diamond around. Look at its different facets. This is another good question for your community group discussions. What does it mean to be hidden with Christ in God? If you're in God and God is infinite, you could explore him forever and never run out of things to find. Beloved, there are unsearchable riches in God. 
but that's for another sermon. We need to keep going. Because I think if we keep reading, this verse clarifies why Paul is bringing up this concept of being hidden. I think this is the main facet of the diamond he wants us to look at. Verse 4, look with me. Paul writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when Christ appears, we will appear. We've been hidden with Christ, but will be revealed with Christ. And we've seen this theme of hidden and revealed earlier in Colossians. Do you remember that mystery from chapter 1? That mystery of Christ saving and uniting Jews and Gentiles. This mystery that was once hidden, but now has been revealed. Paul wrote using the same word here that he does in Colossians 3. Friend, as one commentator wrote, in the Jewish worldview, so that's the worldview uh, people would have shared whom Paul's writing to, many things relating to God and his purposes exist in the present, but because they are in heaven, they are hidden from human sight. So our heavenly identity, our heavenly glory is real, but it's hidden. But one day that will change. Beloved, the glory that for now is in a jar of clay, in a weak body that breaks down and gets sick, friends, that glory will one day be on full display. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, not you might, not you could, but you will appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, John puts it like this in 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Friend, I love how one writer put it. He said, to be heavenly minded is to define your identity, not by the person you see in the mirror, but by the savior you see in scripture. Friend, I once knew a person who struggled so much with insecurity, with the thought that they were ugly, that when they went into a bathroom, they didn't even want to turn the lights on because of what they saw in the mirror. But Christian, make no mistake. There is more going on in your life than what you can see. Whatever you see in the mirror will become glorious, imperishable, incorruptible, perfect. That is your destiny in Christ. That is where you're headed. That's what the devil doesn't want you thinking about. I love how Pastor Ray Ortland put it. He said, Christian, one of the reasons Satan wants you to dwell on your sinful past is because your future is so gloriously bright. After all, Christian, do you see how Paul has walked through the, the past, present, and future of our lives, but he's done, he's done it through the lens and life of Christ? He hasn't said, Isaac, who were you, Isaac, who were born on December 27th and lived in Washington, D.C., now you live in Birmingham. No, he said, you, Isaac. You brother, you sister, 
who have been raised with Christ, past tense. Now you should seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, present tense, because one day you will be revealed with Christ in glory, future tense. Do you see my Christian brother, my Christian sister? Now that you trust in Jesus, your whole life story is being retold with Christ as the banner over it. You have no more story now apart from Christ. Your past, it's covered now with Christ and you get his record of righteousness. Your present is now focused on Christ and you're seeking him who is seated at the right hand of God. And your future is now secure in Christ and it will be as glorious as he is glorious. Beloved, for the Christian, the future only holds glory. I know it's been raining lately, but in Christ, there is no cloudy with a chance of showers. Friends, there's only sunshine, victory, triumph, incorruptibility. I think I made that word up. Friend, you may feel like a loser down here. You may kind of be a loser down here. <laughs> but in Christ, but in Christ, but in Christ, we are victorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Friends, Jesus wins and we win with him. Isn't that the story of the Bible? When David lopped off Goliath's head, the whole Israelite army went nuts because David's victory was their victory. That's why we ain't stuck on Good Friday, church family, because we know Easter Sunday came. Beloved, that's why we party in the church. Because we have won, we are winning, and we will win in Christ. Amen? We've already won, even if we've not yet known the victory fully. And finally, over sin and its presence. Hallelujah. I need to finish this sermon. Paul ends this section by looking to the already and not yet. In the future, Christ will return. He will appear. Again, listen to our church's statement of beliefs. We, the members of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama, believe that Christ will return to establish fully his authority over all things. Beloved, are you waiting on that return? Are you eager for it? Do you live now as if Christ will return soon? Do you live now and as if Christ is one? Friends, I'm talking about life here in the present because given all that we have in Christ, victory, resurrection power, hope and glory, is it any wonder why Paul says in verse four that Christ is our life? I love the present tense of that. He is our life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to know him, to enjoy him, to know his power, his hiding us, his raising us, his keeping us. Friends, for me to live is Christ. What about you? Too often, I think if we're honest, to live is to have a lot of money. To live is to get a good grade in school. To live is to get a good tax return. No, beloved, seek what is above. To live 
is Christ. Let that be your mindset and pursue the things above. Be holy. I read that passage from 1 John earlier. Let me read it again. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Those are good verses. John goes on to say, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John says, if this is your hope, that Christ will appear, you will be holy as he is holy. And that's exactly what Paul calls us to in Colossians. Friend, the glory we have now in Christ, it's hidden for now. It will be revealed when Christ returns. Until then, however, as one commentator put it, our true status is veiled. And though we may not look any different from those around us, Paul's point in this passage, in this context, is that we certainly need to behave differently. So friends, you may look like an average Joe or Jane who lives in this world physically, but because of what's spiritually true about you, Christian, you ought to behave differently than the average Joe or Jane in this world. You ought to behave like our Savior, who's above. That's why we seek him there and why we let what we see color and shape and play out in all our lives. And we're going to see more of what that looks like next week. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we would be what we are in Christ. We pray that even though we may physically look like the rest of the world, Lord, that because of what's true of us spiritually, we would behave differently. Father, we pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would come to know what it means to be in Christ. And Father, we thank you for the certainty we have in Christ of future glory. We pray that would motivate present obedience in our life. Come what may. We pray this in Jesus' name.